1: One o one. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today, Dynasty, for real now, it's official, FFT Dynasty, it has its own audio home, and if you are watching on YouTube, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and follow the new feed, which you can find the link for in the episode description, or by searching Fantasy Football Today, Dynasty on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like the content we've been putting out, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify would help us get off to a great start. Thank you for all, all you that are already watching. Thank you for all who have already gone out and reviewed. Uh, the response has been fantastic so far, and now we're actually going to have an episode in the feed. Can't see what happens now. Um, th- this first episode is going to be special. We're going to talk about running backs, just like literally everyone else on Twitter right now, except we're not going to talk about running back contracts. We're going to talk about running back advanced data, which might be part of the reason for the running back contracts debate. But we'll get into that in just a minute. Dan Schneier is joining me. Dan, welcome back.
2: I'm happy to be here, and I was really excited today, Heath, when I went out to tweet about this podcast, because I'm super excited to do my first podcast with Graham. I've obviously followed his work now for a long time. In my opinion, one of the best analysts in the business, and when I tweeted it out, I was like able to include the link to the actual Dynasty page on iTunes, and I got to see the logo and everything for the first time. I was like, this is official. This is real now, and I do want to say thank you to everyone who has already written a review and sent that in. It is incredibly important for you guys, if you do enjoy the show, to leave us a five-star rating and review, because it'll help us move up and into decks and itunes and spotify and and that's what we need to keep the show going so i was excited about that
1: that was a semi intro i'm going to give him a real (laughs) intro now graham barfield will be joining us there's no one better if you want to talk about advanced stats than this man tell us what's going on at fantasy points and thank you for joining us today
3: yeah guys thanks for having me on uh really excited uh to, to talk with you guys today excited to talk about some running backs definitely excited to not talk too much about these contracts oh my gosh dan <laughs> especially you I, I can't imagine how much you're sick of talking about saquon here yeah. uh but yeah a uh, lot of fun stuff going on at fantasypoints.com uh, we actually just launched our new data side of the product uh, we have been fast at work for the last two years basically charting every nfl game Uh, Brett Whitefield and Chris Wecht, those are the two guys that are basically running our analytics department, if you will. They've hired a charting team in the last two years. We've charted every NFL game, and we just turned in our consumer forward-facing product yesterday. Uh, Guys, this is like the coolest fantasy football tools you'll ever see. And pretty much all the running back stats, at least we'll talk about today, will be coming from... Fantasy points data, so I'm I'm really excited about it. I,
1: I did check that out yesterday. It is awesome. Um, really enjoyed. And I'm hoping you can kind of help because I I've acclimated pretty quickly to advanced passing stats, to advanced receiving stats. I, the, the rushing stats, I still have some more questions about. So I, that's why I'm glad that you're here to kind of help give us some context for these things. I do want to say that the, the one good thing about this running back contract debate is I made the mistake yesterday of tweeting something about how I'd rather have a team with Carson Wentz or Gardner Minshew and Saquon Barkley than a team with Daniel Jones and Matt Breida. And I found Dan's burner and this guy has just will not let me go. So hopefully he's listening today. But uh, yeah, very upset with me for that take. We always start the show with three questions for our guest. Graham, and I'm going to start with one that uh, makes a lot of sense in the, in the context of this show today. What is your favorite advanced stat for running backs? So
3: the best stat, I think, for just overall efficiency and just measuring kind of regression and skill is missed tackles force per attempt. And that's missed tackles force per carry. Uh we've got, you know, dating back to to even the you know PFF and SIS days, it's probably one of the best uh statistics that we have that measures running back, you know, just efficiency. It's also pretty sticky year over year. So when I say sticky, that just means that the same running backs that typically are pretty good in missed tackles force per attempt, like the Nick Chubbs of the world, the Saquon Barkley's of the world, those guys typically rank pretty highly year over year. And we, you know, especially now that we have these running backs that are, you know, that epic 20, uh, 2017 class, all those guys are starting to age out, 27, 28, 29. And we're starting to see their skills regress through missed tackles forced. Hmm. So if there's one, it's probably, it's probably that one. I do want to preface this entire conversation by saying, like, there is literally no one good running back efficiency stat, like they're all okay-ish, but most right. of them are really noisy. And I think that's that's kind of like a pretty good starting point for our overarching you know, conversation that like really there's not one great advanced running back
1: stat. Well, well I do appreciate that because I, I think there's been a lot and we've seen like the charts... Are particularly awesome, um, Dan. That we've seen a lot more on Twitter over the last year or two. But usually they get used and weaponized to say, "See, this guy stinks," or "See, this guy is better than this guy." And I, I don't know. Like, I think what we, the way we should say it is, this particular metric, which measure, measures this, says this guy is better at that thing than this guy. Right, Dan? Yeah, that's a better way to do
2: it. It's <laughs> also, I mean, it's interesting too because I think some of these advanced metrics, like. For example, I'm going to ask you about a player at some point today, Graham, who I've talked about a bunch on FFT over the last month, Travis, he's who has dating back to Clemson days was really strong in force missed tackles metrics and that is carried over the NFL. But when I watch him on tape, I feel like his vision is not there. I feel like he's missing holes. I feel like he's bouncing the outside on plays where he shouldn't be. And ultimately, I don't know if he's maximizing the yards on each attempt. So I wonder like how you can mix in some of those metrics and how you can kind of value them versus just kind of what your eyes tell you as well
3: yeah if we i've been thinking of ways to quantify vision for a long time at running back right like that's kind of part of the reason i came up with yards created and by the way i I have never once said yards created is perfect it is a completely flawed stat just like all running back stats uh it's very very uh subjective just like all running back stats but that being said you're right i mean etn is probably a very He's one of the best litmus tests right now for running back efficiency stats, because if you look at something like rush yards over expectation, uh, which is next gen stats number, he's very good. Uh, you look at explosive, explosive carries. I mean, Etienne's is obviously a great speedster. But you're right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just watching. I'm a huge Jags fan, so there's that. I watched every Jags game last year, and you're right. He left a lot of yards on the field. But that being said, uh, there's this kind of like new age of, of running backs. Like he's in he's definitely in this bucket for me, along with Ken Walker. Mm-hmm. And yep. I'm calling them like true three outcome runners. You know, you guys are baseball fans. We've all heard of true three outcomes for baseball. I think there's like true three outcome running backs in the NFL. And ETN is like he's one of them. You either get a home run. You get the 10 plus yard explosive carry. You get the play where he's either striking out. He made the wrong read, poor vision, or you get a walk. It's like a three or four yard carry. Uh, I think those guys are are really starting to kind of come into the NFL and come in vogue. And by the way, advanced analytics are probably not going to like a lot of those backs because there's so many negative carries. You know, Ken Walker last year, like 70% of his carries went for five or fewer yards. But when he did go for five or more yards, he hit big. Um, so I, I just think this whole discussion is so context driven. It's so you know this is kind of a cop out, but it really is context driven, and it's so dependent on offense. And let's just stick with the Jags. I thought Dark Peterson did a fantastic job scheming up ETM correctly. Yeah, using him off, using him off tackle, understanding if he's going to run inside, it's got to be a light box out of shotgun. He did a fantastic job uh, of doing that. So I you know. We need to we need to kind of push this conversation forward. One thing that we're gonna be trying to do at Fantasy Points Data is just that, is like trying to provide more context and team driven context around running backs. And I think that's really where this conversation needs to be headed is like how do we how do we put a curve on usage and team related context like blocking and usage?
1: So question number two, and like we hit on like six of the things that I want to talk about later. <laughs> so if if you feel like we just kind of pulled one of the strings, we didn't go all the way there. Like all those things, yards, bef- yards before contact, yards after contact, Gibbs, Jacob Gibbs, who kind of put this episode together, this is a, a quasi beyond the box score episode, um, really had some interesting theories that I want to bounce off you about, about those numbers, specifically the, the forced missed tackles. But uh, let's get to question number two. Who is one running back dynasty manager should be buying based on advanced stats?
3: Buying. One guy I've always loved is Aaron Jones. And I like, you know, he's 28 years old now. He's an aging running back. Uh, I just did a dynasty startup draft. I got him in the ninth round. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if I can plug him in as my RB2 right now, Aaron Jones has, by the way, shown no skill regression. Like, Still at the top in terms of missed tackles force, still at the top in yards after contact, which he's always been. He's always been nothing but a top 10, ten runner in most efficiency metrics. Uh, right now, if like you're a contending team or a team that just really needs an RB2 for Dynasty, I'd be buying Aaron Jones on the low.
1: I uh, I love to hear that because I literally sent a trade offer for Aaron Jones yesterday. So go ahead and accept that right now. Dan, you're, you're a little bit more excited about A.J. Dillon this year, right?
2: Uh, I wouldn't say I'm more excited about AJ Dillon. It's more that I'm just a little bit more down on Aaron Jones in redraft. In dynasty, I don't I don't dislike the idea of buying cre- incredibly low because of what Graham said, there really hasn't been a skills drop off. It's not like I'm selling him because of the skills.
3: I'm selling him because of the situation for redraft more so. Yeah. I mean, we we got for dynasty, man. We got to keep in mind all these running backs we're going to talk about today. We got to keep in mind that like most of them are one to two year windows. R- yeah. Aaron Jones is at the end of his one to two year window here.
1: I think that, no, that that caveat that you gave about if you're a contender should just apply across the board to running backs. Yes. Like you look at the guys, like we had DeAndre Swift and Javante Williams in everybody's dynasty top five a year ago because they were young and had like all this upside. And now maybe, maybe, maybe maybe they both still do. Okay. Question number three, is there one running back dynasty manager should be selling based on the advanced stats?
3: Uh, Yeah, it's Joe Mixon. Um, Mixon has been one guy I've always been high on. Yards created, absolutely loved him coming out of college. Uh, All of his efficiency numbers popped. And when he came out in the NFL, all of it popped again. Like he was top of the leaderboards and missed tackles for us per attempt. Uh, This past year completely fell off a cliff, though, Uh, behind the best offensive line he's had behind. uh, Obviously, the best quarterback play he's had. He had his worst year ever, like. By far, he was dead last in this tackle's force per attempt last year. Again, missed tackle's force per carry. Uh, worse than Leonard Fournette. Uh, yards after contact went down the tubes. All of his efficiency metrics were really poor. The thing, you know, we were, we were talking about three outcome runners. Mixon had like 70% of his carries go for uh, five or fewer yards, but he basically had no explosive runs, like very, very little uh, gains of 10, 15 more yards. I think, you know, Mixon got the restructured contract. Good for him. He still got the touchdown upside with this Bengals offense. But, man, there was a a real skill decline last year. And to my knowledge, he wasn't really dealing with any injuries. He was perfectly healthy. Uh, So Mixon is is one guy I'm kind of putting red flags on right now.
1: I I think that's – it's really interesting, and it kind of gets into one of the questions I want to talk about later, is what do we do when what the team is doing doesn't necessarily line up with what the data – tells us. And that happens a lot at this lot. position specifically. They let Samaj P. Ryan walk. So now we got if if we buy into that and I Listen, I I think if if there was a big drop, I had an argument yesterday on fantasy football today with Adam Azor about if Joe Mixon was ever good. And I think he was, but maybe if there was a big drop last year, then you got to decide: do you want to bet on Travion Williams? Do you want to bet on Chase Brown? Like, who, who do you want to bet on that backfield? Because they've, I mean, there's a half dozen running backs available to them right now, and they seem to be content going in with what they have.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. You know, we've got to marry up this context of advanced analytics with what the team, how the team views the player. And you're right. I mean, their offensive coordinator, I believe, came out this offseason and said, you know, he's still our bell cow. We're still planning as if Mixon will be the bell cow. Uh, I'm by the way, I'm going into that assumption uh, into the season with that assumption as well. I, I think he still can score eight, nine, ten touchdowns in this offense. But that being said, I mean, we we got to be concerned that Mixon's is not going to be, you know, a four point two, four point five yards per carry runner anymore. He might be a sub four runner. And that matters. You know, that efficiency matters.
1: So let's. Uh, we do have a, a couple of things on the news and notes. A little more than normal. Some things we actually have to talk about from a dynasty perspective. DeAndre Hopkins reportedly headed to the Titans. I don't think we've got any any sort of details or, or official confirmation on that. But uh, this this obviously, I was a big Traylon Burks guy. A week ago, a month ago, I'm still pretty much long-term a big Traylon Burks guy, but we need to have a discussion, Dan, about what this does for Hopkins' dynasty value and for Burks' dynasty value. I was pretty encouraged when I looked back at last year and remembered that 60% of DeAndre Hopkins' targets last year came from not Kyler Murray. (laughs) The four games he played with Kyler Murray, he was DeAndre Hopkins, 21 fantasy points per game. How do you feel about these two in dynasty, Dan?
2: It's an interesting spot for me because coming out of college, I did the eval for us on Burks, and he was got a really high grade for me. I thought his film was really good, and I figured there's a way to use him at the NFL that could be even better than how they used him in college. But now I'm in a holding period because in, on the surface, it feels like this is a good time to buy Traylon Burks and Dynasty because of, obviously, some people trying to ship him off because of DeAndre Hopkins, but – in my head, it's not necessarily the best time to buy him because I know what's going to happen in Tennessee. We're going to get through a year at Tannehill. They're probably going to be competitive. And then we're going to turn to this Will Levis experiment. I just have zero faith that Will Levis can be an NFL quarterback, and I just can't get it out of my mind. I've seen too much Levis, and I just don't see it in my head. I don't see the direction. So I know I'm going to be dealing with a year or two of Levis and Burks. And by that point, I can then buy Burks for an even cheaper price. So if I'm looking to buy him, I'm almost waiting for the disaster that I foresee coming with Levis. It's just me personally. And then I'm buying him at the absolute lowest point. Um, as for now with dynasty you're looking at a situation where they're not going to throw the football very much. We know that. There's still the same offense in place. They're going to probably funnel most of the targets through Hopkins, so you're looking at redraft, Burke's not on my radar anymore unfortunately and I love him as a player. And then in dynasty I'm probably waiting to buy low into a different point.
1: Graham, you mentioned Aaron Jones as a uh, a, a buy low for a contender. Do you feel the same way about deandre hopkins you still think he can help a team win a championship this year
3: i'm on the fence for for hopkins right now i still want to dive in a little bit more i actually just wrote an article that's up on the site fantasypoints.com just reviewing the move Uh, there's some concerning flat red flags around hopkins profile like he really struggled against man coverage last year and he really didn't get that bad of quarterback play Uh, like you said his quarterback play was definitely better from kyler murray um he was really good against zone though like and that that to me is what his role is in this offense he's a chain mover against zone he can get open uh you know still make contested catches in the end zone get open uh in the end zone so for me i still think he's a solid fantasy wide receiver three um but i think his days of having like a ceiling around wide receiver one are
1: over Dan, former giant Evan Ingram signed a three-year deal. This gives us a little bit more security about his uh, long-term future. How do you feel about Ingram as a dynasty tight end? Is he a low-end number one? Is he a high-end number two? Do you use this opportunity to sell because now he seems a little bit safer and Evan Ingram's never actually safe?
2: (laughs) No, I actually do like Evan Ingram in Dynasty. I feel like Evan Ingram, he has this billing of this injury-prone, not-safe guy. Because of it, early in his career, he got very unlucky with injuries. But he's played all of the, his games in the last two seasons. His last one with the Giants and this one with Jacksonville. And I like buying into him now because I'm pairing him with Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback who I have a lot of expectations for moving forward. And I know I'm getting him for at least three years with Lawrence. So... This year in redraft, I'm not as excited about Ingram, but as that team kind of shakes out over the years, we're going to have that Say Jones contract come off the books at some point. Who knows if that Christian Kirk contract will we'll see, enti- see it through its entirety. So I think he becomes a bigger role as he goes through these three years and continues to build that rapport with Lawrence.
1: Graham, you gave us your feelings on Joe Mixon, so we'll skip that news item. But uh, no deal for Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard at the deadline. I, I, I kind of have two questions here. The first one is about Saquon and Jacobs. Is I don't really feel any actual concern that they're, not going, to, that they're going to miss games. So first off, do you, do you agree with that? And then second, all three of these backs now only guaranteed one year. Um, Pollard and Saquon at 26, Jacobs at 25. How much of a long term concern is it to you that they could suffer an ACL injury in November or December and not be a starting running back going into next year?
3: Yeah, there's that concern with everybody. Um, It was interesting to see how all this played out yesterday. Obviously, Pollard was like, Yeah, I knew I wasn't going to get a long term (laughs) deal. He's like, Yeah, I'm going to take the franchise tag. Barkley's been, you know, uh, he's been barking up a tree about this for months now. And then Jacobs was like, I was literally sitting in the parking lot ready to sign uh, (laughs) if it went through. Uh, You know, to me, I think, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Barkley's probably the highest odds to sit out of this group. Pollard's not. I'd be stunned if Jacobs did. Um, All of that being said, I think we see all these guys on week one. Obviously, Pollard will be fine. Yeah, there
2: seems to be no scenario in my head that any of these guys can afford to sit out. Obviously, it's only like 640,000, I think, you lose per game check uh, for each game missed. That may not be as important to these players, but long-term to miss a season, it's not... It's it's a it's a sad situation at running back, but it's like these are depreciating assets, and that's how they're viewed right now by the league. So you take a year off, you're now 28 going into free agency. Yeah, you have quote unquote less wear and tear, but you're also here older. Yeah, I do think
1: it makes a little bit of sense that Pollard reacted the way he did, and Barkley and Jacobs reacted because he's injured, right? Yeah. Well, he's coming off of an injury, and he's never like he had like six weeks as a quasi starting running back.
3: And he's Boy, also he's also younger in terms of odometer. Like Barkley that's has true. way right. more t- t- touches than Pollard. You know, Pollard like you just said Pollard's never really been a featured back. He's still in my mind Pollard is like this is his year to prove it and he got the tag. He's going to prove it, you know. Yeah.
1: I I do want to ask you guys like how and we'll just, just real quick. We don't need any analysis on this. How would you rank these three running backs in Dynasty? Mm, that's a tough one. I've got it: Jacobs, Barkley, Pollard. Yeah. I think I'm still going to go Barkley first out of those
3: Barkley, Jacobs, Pollard for me.
1: And really, the only difference is that I, I Barkley is a year younger than these guys.
3: Yeah, I have it Barkley, Jacobs, Pollard too. But I mean, I've been fan, I've been a fan of all three of these players for you know the last four years. So
1: it, it's going to be very interesting because we like we've talked about that contract year being a motivational thing for running running backs in the past. I wonder if some of that starts to disappear a little bit if the big contract's not there at the end of the contract year ever. Right. It like will. They, still have to, they still have to keep a job, but besides yeah, that, the motivation. Is not mean, much. Yeah. You know, Zeke and,
3: and Lev Bell and Melvin Gordon, too, I mean, they just kind of ruined the whole idea of a second contract for yeah. for running back. I mean, it is what it is, Todd Gurley especially. I mean, I think Gurley, Gurley was really the death now, but it was the, yep. the first Zeke right. contract that that was it. Gurley,
2: I don't think played a single down on his on that contract because he tore it. He got the injury and then he came
3: back and they cut him. Yep, yeah, it's unbelievable. Oof. I mean, <laughs> so it, my, my, that's my biggest question is like going forward, it's like okay, we can't change the you know the rookie wage scale until the next CBA, like ten years. It doesn't change the yeah, exactly. It doesn't change the fact that second year you know or excuse me, not second year, but second contract running backs are still like, I mean, they're not they're a complete market inefficiency. So like, yep. I don't see that changing you know if you can do what seattle did and draft charbonnet and
2: walker and back-to-back drafts and get them on your cap for two million or less for four years of team control it's just hard to imagine that's a worse scenario than paying 15 million for one guy
3: yeah
1: yeah especially i think I, think I think their I skills match each other pretty well
3: yeah and relating it back to this free agency spend like miles sanders is the only guy who got like a four-year deal uh But you look at David Montgomery's contract, like he got three years, 15 million. Like that's actually not that bad of a deal in the grand scheme of the market. So, you know, it's interesting to see the, the, the NFL kind of tab like Jamal Williams, David Montgomery is the guys, you know, that that were primed for roles. They still got like relative to the market, like pretty good deals. So I think that's the thing is like any any future free agent running back deals will be these three year, two year deals worth, you know, 10, 12, 15 mil.
1: And and what we know that David Montgomery and Jamal Williams are the darlings of advanced running back stats. Um, (laughs) More on that after this short break. Okay, Graham, so what I wanted to do is kind of just run through a few of – I have some questions about a few of the stats. If some players come up, especially from Dan, we can take it that direction as well. But I want to start with a question from Jacob Gibbs, and it's uh, yards before contact. I think a lot of people see that, and they think that's an offensive line stat. Dan was talking – you guys were talking about earlier a way of potentially measuring vision – Jacob was suggesting yards before contact, especially compared to the rest of their teammates, might be a way to do that. Do you feel like yards before contact is entirely an offensive line stat, or is it a little bit of both?
3: Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. Uh, Just like when I was doing yards created, yards blocked uh, was a little bit too. There's what, you know, running backs set up their blocks. And, you know, a lot of times this is is that context that I don't think a lot of advanced analytics – Uh, can capture just yet we're working to get there but it's it's the idea of setting up blocks uh you know we'll go back to the etn example like think of it just watching football right like etn is faster than most linebackers he's going to be faster than most corners you know he's hitting angles and uh getting to places on the field with his speed that most players can't get to and that is all becoming that is all coming before contact those are before contact yards most of the time um I really, by the way, I don't really have a great answer for this. I think looking at it on the team level is it would be is great. Like looking yards before contact, uh, you know, ETNs versus let's let's say this year tank Bigsby's. I think that'd be kind of interesting. But at the same time, you know, we're dealing with sample size issues. You know, ETN might have 220 carries. Bigsby might have like 60 this year. There's also the issue that I wanted to get, yeah. I don't want to cut you off, but it's like, this is the most important thing
2: I wanted to talk about with you. Sure. Trying to figure out yards before contact, trying to figure out the value of scheme when it comes uh, to evaluating running backs and blo- not just the blocking scheme, but individual plays. So it's like you talked about, like we can evaluate Bigsby versus ATM, but what if like the, the plays, the Jaguars are calling for ETN are different than they're calling for Bigsby. Cause you mentioned it last exactly. year, there were a lot of good run designs from Doug Peterson last year that got blockers in space that pinned down receivers and had ETN just like in a Pin pull concept, getting out to the outside and having tons of ground in front of it. Yeah. but like if Bigsby is just getting inside zone the whole time, it's like it's a very different situation.
3: That that's the thing. That's the biggest thing. Is like we we've got. To, I, I think if anything, if anything, this this whole conversation hopefully will will push the conversation forward of just really trying to focus more on usage first like see how that play see how that back is used first so like we can take this another way too like i was having this conversation with with brett whitefield the other day and we're talking about khalil herbert uh khalil Khalil herbert had fantastic yards after contact numbers last year just extremely explosive but he had very very few short yardage runs so he had like very few third and two third and three fourth and one fourth and two and those types like not, you know, not being used in short yardage down a distance, you know, you're just used on first and 10, second and five, whatever, second and seven, as opposed to short yardage, like, you're getting totally different play calls. You're getting different box looks. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not just scheme. It's also down to distance. Uh, it's, it's a lot of different things. And that's the trickiest part of all of this. You know, I'm doing these, I'm, I'm looking at the last two years of, of fantasy points data and trying to find. Ways that our numbers correlate to fantasy points, right? And I've been digging into all the efficiency metrics. And, like, at the best, at the best, like, the best correlation to fantasy points is 0.2. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's a mixed bag, man. Right. Like, there's so much context that goes into a, a successful run play. And it's, it's. I think our brains have been broken by fantasy in the sense that, like, we see Patrick Mahomes hit Travis Kelsey. It's a one-to-one thing. We know what just happened on the play. But on a running back play, there's, like, Four, five, six, seven, eight, ten different things that can yep. go into making that play successful, and there's really not a great way to quantify a lot of it. We can do better things like yards before contact, especially like Jacob was mentioning at the team level, uh, but it's still like you said, we're still looking at these things through keyholes. We're still looking at these these things at different schemes and different plays. Um, you know, I think with our data we're, we have in our dashboards, you can look at all man blocking concepts and all zone blocking concepts you can see how many carries uh we have charted on man and zone uh blocking and that that will give you a lot more context than what we typically see um but all of that being said it's still not perfect you know (laughs) you're still going to have examples where you know Khalil Herbert averages 6.5 yards per carry and David Montgomery's at 4.2 and everybody thinks Montgomery stinks but it's like no Montgomery just got all the short yardage carries yeah
1: Well, I think that's the other thing, and you mentioned sample size in that answer, and especially when it's somebody like Khalil Herbert or a backup running back who might have 100 carries, that yards before contact per rush rush attempt is going to be much more heavily impacted by one play. It's kind of a breakdown by the defense, and you got a 50-yard carry. Well, all of a sudden, the stats are kind of out of whack because the sample size is so small.
3: Yep. I mean, you know— it's so easy to just look at, okay, Justin Jefferson ran 650 routes. He got 180 targets. Like this is just so easy to analyze. And then with running backs, it's like, you know, I know who the workhorse backs are going to be like Derek Henry stays healthy. He's going to get 300 carries well over 300 carries this year. But then after that, it's like, you know, everything is by committee now by and large. And then you're looking at even smaller and smaller things. Like, you know, we were talking about Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are used completely differently in the context of the, that offense. So that that's really the biggest thing, is like if we can find ways to better contextualize within the offense, that's that's probably the next step for running backs.
1: I'm going to start with you on, on this one, Dan, and then, uh, Graham, you can kind of follow up. But uh, you, you mentioned explosive run rate earlier. Um, those guys like ETN, like Ken Walker. I, I would say like um, DeAndre Swift. Um, I, we love those guys in fantasy. Like that's, that's one of the stats that we've got big playability. This is a, this is a really good running back. Those guys also seem to get to lose important touches to backs that we don't think are very good, like Jamal Williams or David Montgomery or, and I I think David Montgomery is good, but like those kind of guys. So Dan, do you think that it's possible that we care more about explosive run rate than coaches do? And they were, does they value the guy who's going to get what's blocked? Uh, sometimes like uh, the coach has, maybe an individual coach thing too
2: yeah i think it may be an individual coach thing like i watched a lot of swift last year early in the year like when he came back from the injury i don't remember what point it was for beyond the box score and i could see why the lions weren't playing him a lot like there were issues with the mental processing and he was not there were some there were some holes that were just inexplicable that he was just not processing and understanding and setting up like graham was talking about before this box and going through but and so you, you see him come off the field but in other situations like for example, like Camara, he has such a like unique role in that. He had at least such a unique role in that offense that it, like it never really made sense for him to be that workhorse in every spot. I think what we're finding is a lot of different coaches are looking for different situations and downs and distances to use different running backs to fit their skill set. They're not just, it's not one guy fits all anymore. So I think it's more so that, but as far as explosive plays goes though, I think it's almost going to go in the other direction. Like teams are going to look and prioritize getting these guys who can deliver them explosive plays. that's how you win games.
1: Graham, we had we had a good uh, comment here from uh, Guitar Ninja. Rick says ETN probably isn't getting any touches near the goal line this year. He didn't hardly get any touches near the goal line last year, which is kind of a like those two things do kind of go in hand in hand, right? Like less short yardage opportunities for the guys who make big plays because they're less likely to get one yard when you need it.
3: Yeah, and Etienne was not a very good short yardage runner last year. And I don't think he was a very good short yardage runner at Clemson. He did get 45% of the Jags inside five carries uh, last season. But um, yeah, I think think that's probably the biggest concern with Etienne this year for fantasy is actually that loss of inside five touches because, I mean, Etienne was not that high volume of a pass catching back so any touchdown loss for etn would would be would be pretty harmful for his fantasy stock
1: do you think that's a concern at all with walker with them bringing a bigger back like sharpness yeah that's my
3: big concern with walker too uh walker was one of my favorite running backs coming out last year um you know penny was rashad penny when he's healthy is one of the best running backs in the world um, but yeah, man, I think I think you know, Walker got a hundred literally one hundred percent of the inside five carries last year. You know, if Charbonnet gets, you know, forty percent of those, it definitely hurts Walker for sure.
2: I have I just want to do a quick offshoot off of that because with regards to the Walker situation and I want to get your take in general on blocking scheme and how it impacts running backs and then in our case fantasy. So What I, so in Walker's example, and this is the same thing for Dalvin cook last year, Dalvin cook plays his entire career in a Kubiak system is perfect for him. His vision is amazing in it. He looks awesome. Last year, they bring in a new offensive coordinator there. They changed the blocking team and in my opinion, Cook just did not look the same. And for Walker, it's like you talked about how much you liked him coming out. I did too, but I thought they were going to, you know, I liked him sometimes when he was running at Michigan State with power gap concepts and pin pull stuff that he was just taking advantage of his athleticism on. Last year, Seattle basically just ran zone the entire time. I think like, I, I talked to someone who covered the Vikings before the Giants playoff game. They're like, I don't think I've seen a single play with a pulling guard this entire season. And I feel like Seattle was in that same bucket of just running zone, zone, zone. And for a player like Walker, how, how do you let that impact your opinion of the player? And how much do you look at stuff like scheme?
3: Yeah, so they did run a quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of zone for Walker last year. But uh, in our charting, we had Walker with 150 uh, carries on a man blocking scheme and to your point he averaged 5.1 yards per carry on his man blocking scheme carries versus 3.6 yards per carry on zone and uh, yeah you're exactly right I mean um Walker is you know I still think he is their clear early down guy like you Ken Walker is to me what like Joe Mixon was coming out of college. Like he is an extremely creative, extremely instinctive runner. You're gonna have the strikeouts, like you're gonna have to live with when he gets stuffed behind the line of scrimmage and misses the hole. But like when he hits, he hits big. And especially on these man schemes, like his success rating as man was much higher than zone two. So um yeah, I think Seattle, Seattle, especially at the end of the year, used him better. I think early in the year when it was him and Penny. You know they were just trying to find ways to to kind of get him in a change of pace role. But by the end of the year, especially in the last couple of games, they were starting to really dominate on these man you know man blocking schemes. And that's that's where Walker will show his colors. Because t- to your point, he is not a he's not a zone runner. He's not he no. Same with Saquon Barkley. I've always yep. said Saquon Barkley is a much better man runner than zone. Saquon Barkley had his best year last year when the Giants finally went away from a lot of zone and they brought in a ton of power gap. Look at that. Yep, it was all, uh, dude. Him on power was was amazing. Unstoppable at Penn yeah. State. It was unstoppable last year.
1: Yep. Okay, well, that's enough, Saquon Barkley. Let's move to the David Montgomery stat. Avoid rate, missed tackles, forced broken tackles. Like, there's like seven of these stats yeah. now, se- seeming to measure the same thing. <laughs> um, you you gave your favorite at the top of the show. Talk about kind of why that is and what yeah. what it, how it's maybe different from some of the others so we'll we'll back up a little bit miss tackles
3: Forest is basically the best all encapsulating number because it captures you're not just like breaking tackles not just like running through defenders like derrick no. henry does or stiff arming a defender like derrick henry does it also includes elusiveness now that is the true like that now we're talking about like that's pretty subjective right um that's why sis sis sticks to broken tackles because it's way less subjective it's clear when Derek Henry runs through a defender or stiff arms a defender it's a little less clear uh, in terms of elusiveness so uh, I chart when I do when I do yards created I chart missed tackles forced by speed elusiveness and power uh, at fantasy points data we kind of do something similar it's just all missed tackles forced we try to do our best with elusiveness uh, I'm actually not familiar with avoid rate but I know broken tackles is from SIS, and I yeah. know they just chart it through like you know stiff arms or uh, you know just trucking a defender.
1: Now, some of these guys that we see that that miss force a lot of broken tackles um, don't necessarily do a lot after they break the tackle. Some people turn it into and so that's where another question from Gibbs: like is, is there some way that we can blend this uh, this miss tackles forced with yards after contact? To to form a better stat,
3: yeah. So I think this is when the this is where usage comes in, and you might have mentioned it with David Montgomery. David Montgomery was awesome last year, especially in terms of missed tackles force per attempt. He he led all running backs, uh, forcing zero point three one missed tackles force per attempt. That was better than Nick Chubb, better than Street Stevenson. Uh, but I think I mentioned it like he got all the short yardage stuff. So like his yards after contact, his yards per carry numbers, they all plummeted because he was on the field so much. On third, you know, third and twos, fourth and twos, whatever, uh, in the red zone at the goal line. So I think one of the best ways to look at this would be to back out all short yardage carries and just show basically what happened on early downs. And that's that's I'm going to tease an article that's coming out here soon that I've been working on with some of our data. Again, two years of sample, so we got a pretty decent sample size to work with. Uh, but yeah, I think I think kind of looking just looking at this from like a down and distance perspective first, and then just trying to like. Contextualize and normalize from there would probably be the best way to go about it.
1: And I do think, Dan, that sometimes the fact that David Montgomery had to force three missed tackles before he got to the line <laughs> of scrimmage helped him in that category. I yeah. have a theory that this year he is going to probably have a career year and also rank lower than he has in the past in missed tackles forced. Interesting.
2: What what makes you think he'll rank lower in the missed tackles for just that that they're blocking it so much better? Because I don't right. think
1: that he will have as many shackles yeah. to avoid. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
3: the Bears have been the worst, like the worst run blocking offensive line for the last couple of years. And like Lions are, are the best. Easily top five. Yeah. Easily top might five. Be. I think this year they'll be the best with Sewell. They probably them. will be. Yeah, They probably will be.
2: I love Montgomery, too, by the way. I think we're going to have to battle for him in a ton of these mocks coming up, and I'm not excited <laughs> about
1: that. I mean, and I don't think like that. I don't think you have to be down on Gibbs at all no. to love Montgomery. Mm-hmm. This offense will sustain two top 20 running backs or definitely two top 24 running backs. Percent agree with that. Uh, so yep. I've got no problem there. I mean, this is, this is kind of a, a new one here. Expected fantasy points. You've got there kind of explain to people what, where that comes from.
3: Sure. So uh, expected fantasy points is Scott Barrett's brainchild. Uh, it's basically taking what happens on a play and saying, Hey, This is what this play was worth in terms of expected points for the receiver, for the quarterback, and if it's a running play for the running back. Mm -hmm. Uh, We look at down and distance, like I was saying earlier. So, you know, down and distance is a huge thing. For receivers, we're looking at air yards, uh, so how far downfield the pass was thrown. Uh, If it was thrown in the end zone, that's obviously worth a touchdown if it's caught. So we're looking at that. Um, For running backs, again, down distance, um, we're looking at, you know, Every carry, as you get closer and closer to the goal line, is worth more fantasy points in terms of your touchdown equity. Um, so, expected fantasy points is basically like the catch all metric for seeing what a play was really worth. Um, and then we compare it to actually what happened. So, like, you know, last year, Kyle Pitts and Deontay Johnson, we would just want to go with some receivers, right. were probably the two biggest regression candidates year over year. Like, they got massively unlucky, according to XFP. Uh, Deontay Johnson should have scored like five more fantasy points per game. De- uh, Kyle Pitts, it was like four and a half more fantasy points per game. And they just, you know, either because of quarterback played, Johnson just didn't score any touchdowns. Uh, but, you know, Kyle Pitts had like one of the lowest catchable target rates among all tight ends. Um, so it's a XFP and expected fantasy points at fantasy points. That is probably one of the best ways to, to find, you know, regression candidates and guys who overperformed. Um, we can take it that way, too.
1: Dan, I I think, like, I was just looking at this when I was writing uh, breakouts, and, you know, I finally, for the first year in Kyle Pitt's career in redraft, get to call him a breakout and not a bust because we're not drafting him in the third round. I love Um, it. But, like, one of the things I noticed was we talk all the time about how bad Zach Wilson was and how Garrett Wilson without Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was the only quarterback that had fewer on-target throws last year than Marcus Mariota in terms of a percentage. Mariota was absolutely terrible. Pitts didn't get to play with Ritter, and so like with Pitts' athleticism, with all those things, like it's easy for me to say, okay, that's a regression opportunity.
2: But, but don't forget that in the small, I know, albeit it was a small sample size, but Ritter was not too much yeah. better than that. He, he, Ritter he, was he yeah. was not as was a rookie. He was as bad he, as Mariota. He
1: was yeah. he was five to ten percent better by most of the metrics that I looked at as yeah. a rookie. Yeah. And, yeah. Pretty much all things I expect, even bad rookies, will be... Now, Davis Mills was not. Not all are. But I expect at least some level of improvement from a rookie better chance to get a
2: level of improvement from rookie, I think, in this case, because there's a smaller sample size. I think if you put the eight games on tape like Mills did, then there's a much better chance of a regression. We're saying, I mean, yeah. I, that's at least what NFL defensive coordinators will tell you. They'll say, we need eight games on a rookie, and then that's where, and you saw it with Jones. With It's mm-hmm. like every quarterback right. ever that doesn't work out, and I don't want to say Jones yet. We don't know, but like in other quarterback situations that haven't worked out, like it will might maybe help him that he hasn't played a lot, Ritter, but I, I am not very confident in Ritter and that it kills me because I love Drake London as a talent, I love yeah. Pitts as a talent and I can't find myself buying into either right now because of Ritter.
1: Well, that's the, that's the question I would ask you Graham and it doesn't have sure. to be player specific. It can be situation or player because Johnson and Pitts situation has Pitts has slightly changed Johnson's really hasn't. Yeah. In in what instances do you say, "Well, this guy out, underperformed because he was unfortunate?" or he underperformed because his quarterbacks terrible or he underperformed because he's just a player who's going to like I assume there are certain players who are, are do worse than their expected fantasy points on a regular basis
3: yeah and then those you know those players typically lose their roles that's what we find right. that's the greatest thing about xfps mm-hmm. we can capture regression and then you're like oh uh, that guy completely lost his role Um Let's relate, well, let's relate it back to Kyle Pitts and Desmond Ritter for a second. Like, I think the biggest thing with Ritter this year, and I think the biggest like case for the Falcons you can make is like watching those four games that Ritter started last year. That offense was painful outside of Drake London. Like, they had no weapons. They had nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. And the only thing Ritter could do and do well were those program throws to London that were like scheduled on time, clear window throws. And to me, if Ritter can hit window throws to Drake London and he can, he's going to be able to hit window throws to okay. Kyle Pitts, now they're going to be able to throw in Kyle Pitts in the mix. They're going to be able to move Bijan Robinson out. Cordero okay. Patterson will play in kind of a hybrid role. So if you want to make a bull case argument for Ritter, it's like, okay, watching the Falcons, like Mariota could not hit the window throws. He could. not Ritter at least kind of could, especially with Drake London. Like He had great chemistry, especially in those last couple games with London. Uh, if you want to make a bull case argument, that's it. Uh, that being said, like you know, Jake Tribby, uh, one of our great contributors at Fantasy Points, huge Cincinnati Bearcat fan, was telling me the other day. You know, Ritter's always had accuracy concerns. He's watched right. every single game of Ritter's. He was missing receivers. This is just going to be who he is. You know, he was missing receivers even in his best year, his you know his last year. So that's the thing with Ritter. He's not going to be Joe Burrow out there. But if he can hit the window throws and hit the like the you know on timing scheduled throws, like I think the Falcons can be pretty good on offense this year like much much better than last year
1: we have one more running back stat it's not a running stat though it's a it's a receiving stat that i want to ask graham about and then we're gonna to get to a few players as well take one more short break
3: the time has come
0: for drag queens to save the world
1: All right. We are back. And before we get to the final stat, I just want to remind everybody there's a lot of you here who were not here at the beginning of the show. It is official. FFT Dynasty has its own audio home. If you're watching on YouTube, we would really appreciate it if you subscribe and follow the new feed, which you can find the link for in the episode description or by searching Fantasy Football Today Dynasty on your favorite podcast platform. If you've liked the content, we've been putting out a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify would help us get off to a great start. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button. Thank you very much, Graham. This uh, this has been like in my head for a while, so I'm hoping that you can can get rid of it because I haven't got a, an answer that I feel good about yet. Yards per route run versus yards per target. My My real understanding of the value of yards per route run over yards per target is that targets are earned and yard yards per route run obviously factors in targets per route run. It, it, it gives you credit for earning targets. Do you think that's true for running backs or do you think that running back targets are mostly a product of quarterback or scheme as opposed to, or designed screenplays as opposed to a running back earning the targets?
3: Most of the time it's going to end up being a check down. I yep. would say You know, it really depends on the offense. Um, If we want to stick with the example we were talking about earlier with the Jags and ETN, there's just basically no design running back targets. Like, you know, you'd see a screen here and there to ETN to kind of, you know, throw off. A pass rush or throw off, you know, if they're blitzing consistently, but by and large, I mean, you know, ETN's pass, you know, receptions last year were all kind of design plays. Like he very, very rarely got checkdowns. It just depends on the offense. Like Ramondre right. Stevenson was the checkdown king last year. Uh, this year, I don't think there's going to be as near as many checkdowns for for Ramondre, and they're going to be mm-hmm. scheming a lot more to their tight ends and receivers. So again, this is one of those things where it's like, man, it really comes down to scheme. Uh, I will say Christian McCaffrey is like the only running back year over year to get a 20% target share. Like, he's, if you want to point to one guy, him and Alvin Kamara would be it. Like, those are the two guys that every right. single year, Saquon Barkley, too, to a lesser extent. But really, Eckler, McCaffrey, and uh, and Kamara have been the three guys, like consistently up around 15 18%, 20% target share, where you could say, okay, those targets are earned. But then by and large, I think the rest of the field, it's like, it really comes down to maybe it's earned. And a lot of it is really just check downs.
1: Well, and that's like you mentioned one of the guys I was talking about. And you kind of went both ways with the guy who did not have design plays and the guy who did. But DeAndre Swift, I think, like people Mm -hmm. look at DeAndre Swift over the last couple of years and say, well, he's really good in the passing game, though. They did design quite a few, especially when when Anthony Lynn was there, designed a lot of targets to him. Going to a team, the Eagles, that kind of like Jacksonville just does not or has not thrown to their running backs. I I feel like the yards per target stat tells us more about what the running back is doing than the yards per route run stat does.
3: Yeah, well, with running backs, it's, yeah, routes run is probably just your bulk. Like, for example, like, like this is ironic, but we can keep on the ETN example. Like ETN ran a lot of empty calorie routes mm-hmm. last year. Like he was on the field a ton like 70 80 snap snapshare, but he just was never getting the ball so it's like yeah his yards per route run looks awful but then you look at his yards per reception you look at his yards per target uh you know and it's a lot better so one of the things we do here at fantasy point stat is we actually chart designed plays and this is brett whitefield's kind of brainchild of looking at like okay you know where is this play designed to go where's the quarterback what's his first read what you know Ah, uh, if you look at let's take the Rams offense for example, like pretty much every first read Stafford is going to make is going to go to Cooper Cup. Right, McVeigh is just a genius at you know scheming up those targets. So we're tracking that. We're tr- we're finding ways of of tracking first reads and design targets. And what what I found at the early look of the data is that yeah, running back targets are very rarely designed. And then when they are, it's like you know it's the Austin Ecklers, yep, the McCaffreys. Um, you know, Debo is used like a running back in that offense. If you want to lump him in with that, you know, that group too. Uh,
1: Dan, I, we we, we yeah, Dan, we get the uh, we get the hopeful reports about running backs playing receiver, and, and rarely does that work out. But it does seem like one of the things is the running backs who actually do that, the running backs who actually get targeted beyond the line of scrimmage. Those are the guys where it might be a little bit stickier.
2: Yeah, for yeah. sure. But those guys are so few and far in between. Like that was the point I was going to try to make because Graham was talking earlier, brought up Barkley as an example. Yeah. I actually think from watching these games on film, like I watch the Giants, it's not a good example because most of what Barkley caught last year was just flare outs. They were just running a yeah. quick game with with uh, slants flat and curl flat. And then it's just like if Barkley's in the flat and the, and the quick game in the, in the middle of the field, receiver isn't open, just hit Barkley. But then you have McCaffrey who's lining up as a boundary receiver. He's in the slot. He's playing position. They're playing positionless football with him. Those are the design touches that I'm looking for as a receiving running back in the pass game. The flare-outs, to me, that could go away if the Giants progress their offense, if Jones gets better at just going through the reads. You don't want to throw a flare-out to a running back. That's like, like, okay, let's just throw it out there because what we thought was going to be there isn't there on our first read. So I just feel like – if you look at, and even in Eckler's case, this is what scares me a little bit about Eckler. It's like, I saw a stat yesterday, 150, he had 151 routes around the line of scrimmage Eckler. I, I don't have the exact stat now I'm missing it. I wrote it up in an article. I can't even remember it, but that was Lombardi's offense. And like,
3: is that yeah. going to continue now? I don't know. I doubt it with Kellen Moore. Well, let's okay. So let's, let's stick with Eckler. Cause I think this is probably like a good segue into back into designed, you know, designed plays like, Last year, the Chargers' offense was designed to not really throw the ball down the field past the past uh, the mar- uh, first down markers. Right. I don't know why Joe Lombardi did this. <laughs> I have no idea. Like, it's like we're still trying to find the guy who's doing this. But it's like, oh my god, just let Herbert freaking chuck it, dude. Yeah. So like, of course, you know they don't have reads that go past the first down sticks. You're gonna get a lot of check down yes. throws to Eckler. Um, and you know, just looking through the the numbers, like the majority of Eckler's targets last year. Over close to 75% were check down plays. He had only 26% of his targets were designed targets. And then you look at the top end, like I was talking about earlier, Travis Etienne, nearly 50% of his targets were designed. Those are your screens, those are your, you know, like it's clear, you wheel know, route. they're just trying to like, yeah, roll out or like a uh, wheel uh, route. Like a wheel route or even like a jet screen where you're trying to yeah. get your receivers by in a three by one and you throw to ETN on the the back side of the three by one. Uh or on the front side, uh you know whatever the case may be, um you know we're we're trying to t- to track that, but yeah, I mean, by and large, your most running back targets I'm looking right here at Barclay's at seventy five percent of his targets last year were checkdowns, so yep. by and large, it's checkdown targets very, very rarely. running back targets are gonna be designed, and the other seventy five percent it's all just based on you know whether where they're at in the checkdown or where their you know responsibility is in terms of
1: blocking, yep. So I do have a few, a uh, couple of running backs. we got about five minutes left that I wanted to check in with you on. We already talked about a few of these guys. That means we did a good job. I think we talked about half of them, actually. So two running backs who have been backups. Pollard had a much bigger role, obviously, last year than Alexander Madison. We talked about Pollard. You seem pretty optimistic about the advanced stats looking good for him. I, I've heard mixed things about Alexander Madison, and I think his situation is one of the ones that has bit fantasy managers more than just about any other at running back over the last few years is taking that guy who has been strictly a backup, thrusting him into a starter role, and then counting on him for fantasy purposes. How, how does Madison look through the lens of advanced stats? And then, Dan, give, give your thoughts on him after that.
3: Yeah, Madison is, is really tricky because – you know, I just got to give a shout out to the whole fantasy community as a whole. Like Madison a couple years ago would have been a fourth round pick. Okay. Yeah. Now, now everybody's like, OK, I'm not so sure about these guys anymore. Maybe I do want to take Chris Godwin over Alexander Madison. Or maybe I do want to take Deontay Johnson. So I think, you know, I think the market is getting a lot more efficient in that respect. If you look at like team level context, you know, we we're talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you know, especially with the Vikings, you know, they are all zone, uh, especially, uh, you know, in, in prior years. That's the big thing is like that old role where, you know, the old Mike Zimmer offense is gone. Like this is not a run first Vikings offense. You know, if you look across the board, Vikings were top 6 in pass rate when leading, they were top 6 on early downs, they were top 6, you know, uh in the red zone like that role, that high volume role that Cook had for all those years is just gone. So like that's that's the pretense in terms of projection that I'm looking at with Madison. Yep. In terms of his advanced analytics, like he's it's tricky. It's tricky. Like a small sample is a mistack was forced very good. But then you look at his team level, like zone yards per carry compared to Dalvin cook. It's very, very poor. Um, so he's, he's one of those guys where it's, it's, it's really tricky. And I think it's going to come down to whether or not the Vikings add a second running back here, because right now, I mean, his role looks really good. Um, they could certainly add a veteran, but Madison to me is, I think appropriately priced as a, you know, he's got a low end RB1 ceiling and he's appropriately priced as kind of like one of those sketchy RB2s that like you know you can crane your neck and look at Cam Akers the right way and be like, oh, man, he could be an RB1. <laughs> Do the same thing with Alexander Madison.
1: Where, where are you taking uh, Madison, Dan?
2: I actually am a little bit higher on Madison, but I am, you know, for the for redraft because. I just have the expectation that I'm gonna put the situation first here. And Madison is the player who they paid here. And behind him, right now, at least, and this is goes to what Graham said, like if they add someone like cream Hunter or Leonard Fournette, my opinion changes entirely. But what they have behind him now is Ty Chandler, whose film I love, but he was an older prospect that they didn't use much draft capital on. McBride, who I like even more as a fit for that system, he might have been the best zone blocking one cut back in this whole class. And he was amazing at UAB. He has major issues with fumbling and pass protection is not there. Like, I don't see how he really gets on the field unless it's for like early downs and like the fine run plays, where then you're kind of tipping your hat. So, I feel like the only one they can really trust to be on the field and have them be in have the Vikings be in a spot where the defenses aren't really guessing run or pass, they can kind of keep it open ended is Madison right now. So, because of that, I'm getting a guy in an offense I know is going to continue to hum with a real division of really bad defenses. Well, besides Green Bay, um, I'm not really high on Detroit or Chicago defensively. So, I just feel like there's a good opportunity there there for scoring but it just depends on the role
1: Graham we got a couple of uh competitions on what might be bad offenses for running backs but Damian Pierce and Khalil Herbert two backs that I know Jacob Gibbs has kind of fallen in love with as he's dug into the data just a little bit Pierce now has to battle Devin Singletary who they brought in from the Bills Herbert Mm-hmm. trying to fight off Deontay Foreman, who in, in his own regard has some numbers that look pretty good, and Roshan Johnson coming out of Texas. Do, do you have a strong lean on either one of these backfields? Is there a back amongst this group that you really like?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm still in on Damian Pierce, man. Was la, I loved him coming out of college. He obviously landed in one of the best spots he could have. Like just literally no no backfield competition last year besides Rex Burkhead. Uh, this year, Devin Singletary has definitely increased competition. I think I think it comes down to the passing role though. Like Singletary, I think was brought in to be a little more of like a change of pace on early downs, and then especially as a blocker. Damian Pierce was a really bad blocker at Florida. <laughs> right. He was really really bad last year. Like he got pulled from some games because he missed play. So I don't really care so much about that. Pierce in terms of yards after contact, was Forrest like blows Singletary out of the water. Like he's clearly the more talented back. So I, I'm still pretty I'm in on Pierce as an RB2. This Bears backfield, man, I have no read on. Like I'll just be straight <laughs> up honest with you guys. Like I really don't. I, I liked Roshan Johnson coming out. I thought Deontay Foreman especially last year was starting to come off, you know, come off well, the Achilles. And then he popped last year for the Panthers. And I was mentioning, you know, mentioning Herbert earlier, you know, he was a yards after contact and analytical darling last year. Right. A lot of that was came down to his, you know, advantageous usage on early downs, but I, I guess it's Herbert. I, uh, that would be my guess, but I feel like two percent, literally like, 5% confident in saying that like I could also see Roshan Johnson if we want to go skill set wise like Johnson is the only guy here I feel confident saying he can play on passing downs so like if we want to go skill set want to make a bull case argument that Johnson is like the only guy who can kind of give like Dan you were saying that versatility of like not knowing if it's run or pass That matters less way less for the a a team like the bears but roshan's like the only guy in this backfield that can play on passing
1: downs i will say it's a good thing good thing damian pierce doesn't play in chicago maddie reflu saying the number one job of running back is to protect the quarterback pierce cannot do that job dan give me your your top three running backs from these two backfields
2: okay oh from from uh houston and chicago okay top three overall for fantasy number one for me is definitely going to be Damien Pierce. I I understand the concerns for sure with him staying on the field, but to me, Pierce with Slowick, the offensive coordinator they're bringing in from San Francisco, it's the literal perfect fit. This outside zone scheme is perfect for his skill set. So I'm extremely high on Damien Pierce. I also like Graham. Loved his tape at Florida, and it carried over right away. So he would be number one for me, and Herbert would be number two for me. He's another player who I did love coming out of college. I don't want to, you know, say all these players. I just like their, their college film, but I feel like he's been pretty good in the NFL. What Graham was talking about way earlier on the show, which is creating downfield, creating after contact. So I just feel like I'm getting more upside there. Roshan Johnson was a really good player at Texas. He would have been a much higher draft pick if he didn't play behind yep. Dijon Robinson, but he is still a rookie. So I have some concerns there um, as far as getting on the field. So I'd probably go one, two, and then Roshan three.
1: Roshan three. Is Herbert closer to Roshan or
2: Pierce? Closer to Roshan for me. Yeah, I really do. like Pierce this year. I,
1: I would agree Pierce. with that. I would agree with that. I think Pierce, Pierce probably a top 20 back, and I'm not sure any of the Bears are be being my top 36 unless one of them gets hurt in training camp or something. Last, last guy will let ask you about graham we've been trying to write derrick henry off for uh two or three seasons now he's definitely had too many carries the tires are definitely going to fall off is there any sign at all that he's not still king henry so
3: i was writing this up yesterday for my deandre hopkins piece so yards after contact have definitely dipped he's gone from 4.2 to 3.2 but that 3.2 is still really freaking
0: good like <laughs> it's still
3: like top 10 right. uh he's still right in the mix in terms of missed tackles for us with like Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, like he's not elite. He's never been elite in terms of Ms. Tacos Forrest. There's been a little skill regression, but like Henry to me strikes, Henry strikes me as an Adrian Peterson type. Like he's going to be 30 next year and he's still (laughs) going to look freaking good. Like I, I, I maybe, okay. Henry probably doesn't have the same top five ceiling that he, you know, he's had in previous years. We do have to bake in a little skill regression, Their offensive line is also not going to be very good this year. This is easily the worst Titans offensive line that he's had to deal with. But all of that being said, man, I mean, he has been nothing but an outlier for his entire football career. I'm not going to sit here and say like, I'm, I'm drafting Henry heavily. I have Josh Jacobs ahead of him in my rankings to kind of give you an idea of, of, you know, how I feel about those two. Uh, But all that being said, I am definitely not writing off Derrick Henry. I never will like literally will never write him off, especially after last year. I mean, he came back from a foot injury and he was, Back to his normal self, you know. So, I, I think Henry will be just fine in his age twenty nine season.
1: Dan, Derek, Henry, a uh, round two slash three pick, always there in round two, and generally mid mid to end of round two. Uh, are you are you grabbing him there, or you still prefer Jacobs?
2: I'm, it's close for me between those two players. I I do typically tend to not go r- running back though in that in that spot. I will I do like some of the receivers more yep. there, especially because this year like we didn't get the chance to talk on. But there's a lot of running backs in that rounds three through five range that I like that I typically don't like in fantasy like year after year. So it's like a really weird interesting year there for me. But
1: it's one of my favorite things is the whole dead zone thing that came to be I think <laughs> three or four years ago. I remember Ben Gretch talking about it on, on the podcast, um, and it, it which kind of like we we adjusted to the point to where all the guys we were drafting in round two are now being taken in round three through five so i'm not sure that avoiding running backs in that range is the same great advice that it used to be graham this has been fantastic i thank you so much for joining us i I do i want to give you one more chance tell everybody what's going on at fantasy points how they can be a part of it
3: Sure, yeah. I uh, you was know, mentioning it throughout the show uh, data.fantasypoints.com. That's you know, going to be your new home for NFL research for a very long time. We've got some of the coolest splits, tools, filters, like literally any fantasy stat that you could think of. We have any efficiency stat, all of the efficiency stats we were talking about today for running backs, all of them missed tackles for us, yards after contacts, explosive runs. We have all of it. And it's only $50 for this year. Uh, we're we're giving this out because Scott Barrett's a man of the people. Brett Whitefield's a man of the people. I'm a man of the people. We want people to get in there and enjoy advanced analytics and some really cool tools. So make sure you check it out. Training camp's right around the corner, guys. I, I am so excited. Football's on the doorstep. I'm really excited for the season.
1: Graham, thank you. Dan, thank you to everybody who listened to the, the first official episode of Fantasy Football Today, Dynasty. Thank you, and we will talk to you next Tuesday.